Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. This is the only podcast devoted 100% to the Texas Tech Red Raider baseball team, currently residing in Omaha, Nebraska, living through the rain and ready to play another game against Florida State on Wednesday. It was a great one against Arkansas. We're going to recap that with Dr. Mike Gustafson, look ahead to the Florida State Seminoles, especially want to give a shout out to Big Cameron Warren, who hit not only a two-run dinger out into left center field, just absolutely pounded that ball, but also scored from first the go-ahead run on a go-ahead RBI triple by Cody Masters. Cameron Warren got himself the Titanic treatment. I'm going to play that for you now. This is Dinger Derby. There he goes, and the pitch is driven. Well, as I said, it was a great, intense afternoon at the ballpark playing the Arkansas Razorbacks. Obviously, always a great day when you get the W, and the Red Raiders did in high drama, winning it 5-4 to four over Arkansas. Fantastic performances all up and down the lineup, as well as the pitching rotation. And we're joined now to talk about that game and look ahead by Dr. Mike Gustafson. Mike, I know you had a long trip today. Thanks for jumping on. First of all, I've, I've been wanting to apologize to you because I always made the assumption when I heard you on Thetford and Ashby that they just were calling you like a doctor of baseball, but you're actually, you're a real deal doctor, like EDD and everything. <laughs> yeah, I've got the copy of the dissertation to prove it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it represents quite a bit of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Well, I know you just made the trip home, so thanks for coming on and wanted to talk a little bit about that Arkansas game. Man, talk about a nail biter you know, basically all the way through, but especially there in those late innings, Taylor Floyd coming in and getting the save. I mean, I know we've had a lot of close ones as Red Raider fans and certainly in these last several years under Tim Tadlock, but I don't remember being as wound up in a game as I was as national TV audiences saw me chewing on my scorebook basically, but it, uh, it was (laughs) wild, man. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, I thought it was a good thing for us to get into our personality a little bit, hit a couple of home runs. Yep and come back a couple of times and just do some of the things that we've seen this club do. Because I think sometimes teams go up there and just never really get started offensively. And part of it is just how good the competition is there. I mean, it's not a very, it's just not very forgiving. And in the past, certainly the first two or three years in that ballpark, it was horrendously defensive or pro pitching or however you want to describe it. It was really difficult to score runs up there. The, they changed the constitution of the baseball and all of Division One, the actual ball, and 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 it made everything a little more offensive, and it really made that environment a lot better because you see the dimensions up there. That's you know whatever four hundred five to center and three seventy five, and yeah, I think four four hundred eight out there. I mean, yeah, it's it's a big yard, and it plays big too. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and I think the dimensions are comparable, if I remember correctly, to Kansas City's ballpark where the Royals play, but. Think about it in the context of our ballpark, and it's, it's not wholly different. But for a while there, it played dramatically different, right. just gigantic, and it still plays big. But all of that to say, by us going out and getting a couple of home runs, and you know, and a double off the wall and a triple off the wall to drive in the go-ahead run and just do some of the things that we've seen our guys do, it feels like we're into our personality a little bit now. How much will that matter tomorrow? Who knows? But it just felt good to see this team do that and do the things that we've seen them do throughout the year. 
and that we've seen him do in the postseason. Right, and I'm glad you said that. That's a good way to put it, getting back within your personality. Tech's 22-12 and 12 this season when they're coming from behind, when the opponent scores first. I mean, that's pretty good you know, knowing that you're able to do that, but it's kind of that reminder, like, oh yeah, this is our identity. We're we're always in this game. Right. We're we're okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm trying to kick back and remember a game where they got down pretty big and they clawed their way back. But those are those types of games throughout the season that, you know, you look back on and remember, hey, we can make this thing happen. We're always a swing away. And it can be anybody, you know, throughout the season, this lineup one through nine has pushed folks and you've seen it have to change with injury, and, and you've tried to find some answers in different places and situations, but I think Eastern Morrell walked in the door and really proved that anybody in, on Tech's roster can come in and be dangerous for opposing pitching. Yeah, and what a, what a special moment for him to, to have the really, arguably, the first really big moment of your career on that stage, but then to also do it against guys that you were playing with this time last year and, and the place that from which you transfer. I mean, they're just, just a really an unbelievable big time dramatics there. And, and he, Easton hasn't been a big power guy this year and boy, he, he, he smoked that ball he uh, did yesterday and just, you know, again, created a, a little bit of a Cinderella quality to that story yesterday i think uh going back to the first part of what you were talking about one of the big comebacks i think about the second game of the year i think about bryce bonnet's first start give up a six i think in the first inning against oregon and yep. uh and come back and win that game nine to eight if i remember correctly and that was after losing to oregon in the first game of the year and so uh they immediately had to you know had to, had to deal with uh some, some adversity there as we go all the way back to what seems like years ago, but basically four months ago to get their first win of the season. And uh, it involved a cast of characters that will be essential to tomorrow's ball game in Bonin. I remember that was one of Floyd's first big moments of the year. And, uh, you know, there, there were some good things that happened. Fulford hit two home runs that day. Yeah, it was the second game. It was a Bonin start. Yeah, you go down 8-3 after the first really 9-3 going into the bottom of the second, and then you start to work your way back, and you end up winning 12-11. to Man, you got a good memory. I knew there was one early because I remember talking about this is a game we'll look back on, and <laughs> leaders on that team will tell guys we're always in it. Well, obviously a great day at the ballpark, and it was full of those great storylines. Morell's a great storyline. Cody Masters, obviously a guy that's battled through injury and adversity and been in and out of the lineup and goes up there and just, yeah. as, as my friend said next to me, he just pissed on it. <laughs> you know, and he sends one. <laughs> yeah, he put it. He did. He sent it to the the top of the wall out there. I was listening to someone else, and they were really ragging on. Well, they were saying the center fielder, but it was the right fielder for Arkansas. Like he misplayed it, and it was just a fantastically struck ball. It's right in the gap. It's over their head. It has a, a weird bounce off the wall. I mean, he just smoked it, and then the story, of course, he's a little overshadowed as Cam Warren's chugging around from first to get the score, and then kind of lost in that too. Masters slides in and you know beats the replay and and gets on safe at third for the triple and the guy that doesn't get the tag down they played high school ball together yeah that's that's great that's a fun little narrative too the the overlaps of those guys yeah i think a lot of people forget how small baseball can be and how much you know these guys yeah (laughs) yeah no no doubt about that no doubt and uh their shortstop when he had the little base hit out there yesterday when kurt dove for it and it, it rolled passing the wall there was a uh, he, he and he and uh, Morrell had a little, you know, pat each other on the bed. Like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, because I'm sure this time last year they were going through freshman stuff together and everything else. But yeah, that was 
again, a cool little wrinkle there. But yeah, I thought the Masters ball was was smoke. And if that's a big, pretty fly ball, I think Kerstad has time to get there and get settled under that. That ball was ripped in in a way that he was having to. He, that ball was getting to the wall before he could get there. Now let's say that fence is four hundred and ten feet, and he's got clear room to run. Maybe he can run right. that ball down, but the fact that he was going track wall at an angle and the ball's on a line off of the very top of that NCA logo out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a way tough play to say, well, I cursed that. I should have gotten that yeah. ball. I mean, that, that's pretty stiff. Those are the kind of plays we see major league baseball players make. And it's usually on, yeah, I mean, it's usually on more of a fly ball than a rocket like that. But, but, but I, I think Cody, but you talk about Cody's a good guy to talk about because of where he's been, you know, the, the shoulder, the labrum injury last summer, uh, essentially not doing anything in fall ball. A little bit of a slow start this spring because when we watched him throw, he looked like he played on the JV over at a at a three A school. <laughs> I mean, yeah. with his throwing specifically, and he's a really good athlete. Uh, has switch hit at times in the past. Didn't do. I think he may have canned the right side this year. Yeah, he sure. seems like he stayed lefty. Yeah, it stayed left, and he's predominantly been used in that platoon role there, and so there hadn't been many opportunities against left-handers. But the defense has been shaky, and I'm sure he's been covering for the arm. It's just, it's just been the spotty year. But down the stretch, as with a lot of the things with this ball club, there has been some stability in that role, and it's been a bit of a platoon you know, there. And, and he's been, you know, if you buy the idea of lineup protection or whatever, but we've seen – teams pitch around Josh to get the Cam in spots. Pitch around Cam, you know, say, man, we just got to get through these two guys, Young and Young and Warren, or, you know, rolling ball of butcher knives. As you yeah, like to there it is, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I, knew you were I love it. That, but I love to get it. Those two, to get through those two, and then, you know, there's got to be something behind them. And so where Masters hasn't had the year of those two, who has, there's been some moments this year where he's made teams pay, and then even behind him, what Kurt did last week, I mean, that's, right. that's the essence of putting together a good lineup is, uh, you know, being able to stack some good hitters together in a way that if, if you don't pick A, you get B, and if you don't pick B, then you get C. And uh, if teams really control those guys behind Josh and Cam, there's there's a recipe to beat the Red Raiders. Right, and, and you even go beyond that. A guy like Max Marshak who could hit a, a bunt single at any moment, you know, with that kind of speed and just changes the way that they have to pitch and play defense because of that speed. And then talk about, I mean, if you could go most improved player of the year, Braxton Fulford has been yeah. just absolutely lights out this year when you compare him to his freshman campaign, which was pretty good defensively, but really struggled at the plate. And he's come on from both sides. And despite, you know, any overreaction to small mistakes that – happen here and there, I think he's been a really solid catcher for you this year. I, I agree, and because uh, th- I've heard some of the, the narrative, you know, people, oh, oh for driving that, and, and groaning about it, mostly online people but yep. hiding behind a fake name for the record, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. posting, you know, Red Raider 6227, like, I see you really stuck your neck out there with yeah, right. criticism <laughs> of a 19-year-old, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think I think in many respects, uh, Braxton, there's a there's a most valuable quality to Braxton, an MVP quality to him, and it's not that he's been the outstanding player that Young, Warren, some of those other guys, but probably the most irreplaceable guy on this roster. We're way deep into this postseason with Braxton having caught every meaningful 
inning yeah. uh, down the stretch. With the, I mean, the last non-start, and he ended up playing a few innings in the ball game was the uh, the doubleheader day. I think in Oklahoma City, yeah, got in the losers bracket, and uh, I think you know he's caught every meaningful inning since then. And and uh, down the stretch last year, now last year he it was a three-headed catching monster into April, almost into May last year before Braxton took it over. And by the end of the year, it was just a hey, kid go defend. You'll be stable behind the plate. If you get a hit every once in a while, great. Throw down some butt signs, do some things, and and just be functional back there. This year, he's he's stabilized himself just in his entire game, and you know, in his personality as a player and everything else that that the offense has been able to work a little bit. And there's been key moments. I mean, he had two base hits there yesterday, and he smoked both of them. The double off the top of the wall I mean, against Michigan. I mean, there's been some. Uh, some good at bats there and you know one thing I was thinking about too is is he into a situation where fatigue has kicked in I mean he has caught a ton of baseball and I'm sure in a very general sense you know he's he's a tired dude right uh but these days off are, are really helping him but you know just the fact that he has had to carry the basically the entire catching load all year um the performance level has been pretty good and uh I know he, he had the hiccup hiccup yesterday on the throw down the first. That wild pitch got away from him, and it got under him in a way that there's a little bit of a scuffle, like, where is it, where is it? He picked it up. He really didn't have a good throwing lane by the time he found it and fired it into the runner's back. Yeah. And, you know, that just happens. But, uh, yeah, anytime you're outside, it just kind of spells trouble. Mm-hmm. So Yep, because if you, if you can clear to the inside, you can block that thing to the plate and then clear to the inside, barring catching a spike, but you get it against TCU, but – if you clear to the inside and then you hit the runner, that runner had better be running on the outside lane, right? Out, you know, outside the baseline, and and so that's why when you whenever you can, when you're clear to the inside to get that inside pass, and and then you've got a little bit of protection from the rule book as well. But that thing getting under him and back behind the umpire, he he had no option but to but to fire it down there. And then Cam was a Cam was a sitting duck. I mean, because Cam's got runner and ball coming, and he can't just bail on the thing, and so he hangs in there and gets smoked. And we're lucky it wasn't worse from a baseball sense, and that it sets up a run or it's a disaster in an inning or whatever. Yeah. We're also lucky that the first baseman got up and he wasn't holding a <laughs> hit any bone sticking out or anything. Absolutely, else because, uh, yeah, yeah. None, none of us want to try to think about the remainder of this season as as uh, involved as it could be with without a healthy Cam Warren right there where he needs to be. Right, absolutely, and yeah, you Braxton Fulford two for four on Saturday against Michigan, and two for three yesterday against Arkansas, and he really has been strong. And you know, you talk to that toughness of his, and I mean, yeah, he must be tired. I didn't think. After that TCU series, you know, you go to 14 on Thursday, and I'm thinking, well, surely he doesn't catch tomorrow. And there he is. He starts. He doesn't even come in in late work. I mean, he starts the rest of the weekend. And I'm just thinking, I would be, I would be completely whipped. I mean, I'd be whipped after an inning probably. But it's impressive, you know, how tough he's been back there. And for folks that don't know, you, that 35 man roster is down to 27 now in the postseason. And one of those guys that was pulled out of there was Mason Menzies. So you really only have. Braxton Fulford, and then Cole Stillwell with you as far as catchers go. So not only is health important, but him being able to rest up and be ready to go again is is super important for this team going forward. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I think – and Tim even referenced it in media coming out of the uh, OSU series. And, and he talked about – he said sometimes you get a catcher – when a catcher gets to Sunday – the legs may not be there, you know, aren't always there. And it, and it was a reference to, I think it was in the context of the home run that he had hit and, 
you know, that he'd had a pretty good day against OSU in the finale of the Super Regional. And uh, Tim was talking about how, how, how durable he had been. I thought, let me go back to 2016 as we reference this. I thought Tyler Floyd, who was a senior at the time, really got mm-hmm. played down in 2016. Like, like his offense suffered, and he hung in there defensively and gave that team a chance in 2016. But by the end of the year, he looked like his, the batted slowed down, and the, you know, it just it was a it was a toll. And uh, for Braxton, so far, and again, again, where hopefully there's another five or six games left, whatever it is. But uh, uh, I mean, so so far, he's really hung tough in this deal, and uh, it's remarkable. He's he's like a durable point guard that touches the ball on every possession. And then I think people get caught up in the times that that point guard makes a turnover. You know, it's like you do realize that this entire thing runs through that guy. Right, so if he's ninety-seven percent, right, you know, and and the, you know, there's a pass ball every once in a while, and everybody loses their mind. I just think that I think that criticism has been unfair. Yeah, and, me. and that was not an egregious pass no. ball on uh, on Saturday. He squeezed early. It was not a big, a huge deal. And I, I know that it set up a runner into scoring position, and you end up you have a one zero deficit, and it kind of sets a tone. I get that, but I don't think it's something to crucify a kid over because he squeezed early. No, nope. you know, in the College World Series in game one. Sure, and I, you know, yes, and and I also think that we've got uh, just thinking about this staff, and it's the nature of the game. Uh, we're all used to go. I got those ninety six now, but that's ninety six, mm-hmm. and so when that ninety six is in the dirt. Or when that 96 misses by 18 inches, we're set up outside and he misses inside or, or whatever. Yep. You know, and the breaking ball is 85. And, you know, some of these guys that throw really hard. And, and, and uh, you know, when they miss, it's not Cameron Smith from 2014 missing that's throwing 86, 87 and hitting spots. That's nasty stuff yep. to work with. And, and uh, I mean, we're not watching big leaguers. And, uh, you know, is he Shea Langoliers? No, he's not. Uh, He's also got time to he's younger than Shea Langelier, so maybe he'll get to uh, mm-hmm. an improved level. There's no reason to think he won't improve. I mean, when you think about just the makeup and the intangibles of Braxton, just as a kid, the, you know, he wins that Elite 90 award up there as one of the top yeah. GPAs in the entire College World Series and just a fantastic kid and all. You think, well, those are the kind of intangibles that go with somebody that's going to, you know, that's going to hang in there and keep grinding and keep getting better and all that. I mean, there's just, like that. And then you want to hire him in two years, you know, whatever. Yeah, you right. Not professor, you run a bank or something. You go, hey, I need to get that Fulford kid working down the hall from me because yeah. he's, he's a good person. He's the kind of guy we want to keep in love with Texas and raise his family right. here and do all of that. But that, that's another topic for another day. Well, it doesn't hurt that he's a Monterey Plainsman like you guys. Yep. So you were ready to talk about him. I didn't even I didn't know we were going to do this, but I <laughs> well, like it. I mean, right. it's, it's good. A, yeah, it's a fun little sidebar. <laughs> I went, I, he and I both. Yeah, I both wear number two. I wore twenty six at Tech too, and so when I went, I went up to him, and I, and I know his dad pretty well. And Braxton just knows me in passing, just like a lot of the guys do, just as a radio guy, whatever the Yahoo that sits on the front row. But I, I went over there and said, "Man, I got to get picture with you. I'm proud of you." A couple of Monterey guys, and I said, "Besides that, two number twenty six is here." And he goes, "You wore number twenty six? I said, "Yeah, I'll let him retire it, so you can come." You could wear it when you got here, and he started laughing. And I said, that's when they took the picture. So he's got a really good smile on his face, as a, as I was being ridiculous at the time. <laughs> well, and the last thing I wanted to say about just as catchers in general, this is a this is an interesting conversation too, because you know you talk about how the kind of guys we're throwing out there against opposing batting, 
you know, and you're throwing out a John McMillan yeah. dropping triple digits on somebody. Then you're throwing out a Taylor Floyd who's got a sinker from a sidearm, you know, and this wipeout slider and all these guys that have all these tools and weapons that batters just swing through and can't hit and Killian gets nine strikeouts and all this stuff going on up there. Braxton Fulford's managing every single bit of that. Yep. Every one of those balls is ending up in his glove. That's something that we probably don't give enough credit for, you know, how well he does that. And on top of the stuff, but also managing that staff and, and all the things that they have to do together as they go through a game. And, I mean, he may see four, five, six guys, you know, on any day and have to be prepared for that. No, no doubt. And, uh, and you, you talked about managing the, that staff, and, and, and you're also talking about managing uh, managing situational baseball. And I thought that was as evident as ever. In the uh, ninth inning yesterday, and we get first and second. And, you know, John hits the first guy, and then they bloop a single because we've shallowed up and we're we're playing the bunt. Mm-hmm. They dump a little pop up over the second baseman's head. That if we're if we're at a normal depth, fine probably takes three steps back and gags it. And then first and second, nobody out. They got a bunt. Da da da. And there's signs. There's signs. Not just hey, one fastball, two curve, but every couple of pitches he's stepping out and making infield calls. Josh is making calls and all of that stuff is bunt coverages, any sort of pick plays and stuff. And there's just a ton going on, especially when it gets to be first and second like that, because you can have the wheel on, you can have first and third crash. And we had cam crash early in that sequence yesterday that I thought was interesting because that was when Arkansas really shied away from bunting. And I thought they were either going to really try to be offensive and shove one past Cam over there at first. And maybe even if you got, because if you get in a situation where it's a wheel play and you've got both first and third crashing, you've got infielders on the move like crazy. And a ground ball just about anywhere is going to move guys over. And it may be the kind of base hit that creates total chaos. You know, Braxton is, is an integral part of all of that. And his signs are going to the pitcher to say, hey, if Cam's crashing, you've got the third baseline, but you don't. You don't you don't just yell that stuff out. It's not little league. You got to do that in a way that the signs are discreet, so that Arkansas doesn't go. Oh, okay, well, if nobody's going to be over there, we'll hit it over here. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's not sitting back there telling him it's a fastball outside. Right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Here you go. It's yeah, not Bull Durham good. over here. Yeah. Sure. And then Braxton's keeping an eye on the guy at second to see if he's stealing signs. And I mean, there's just a lot yeah. going on. And and uh, I thought baseball yeah, was boring right. though. I yeah, didn't. yeah, no, well, yeah. <laughs> nothing it's, going it's, on. If you don't really look at that stuff, but yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember how hard it was as the third baseman and the second baseman in those spots were like, man, if it's hit over here, I've got to do A, B, or C. If he does this, I'm, you know, I mean, mm, really there's all these scenarios, situations, absolutely, and it's, yeah. it's such a fun part of it, especially when it goes your way and you win the ball game. There's got to be really good communication and guys' heads on a swivel with that stuff because. We could have had two or three defensive things going on in that situation when the guy took a pitch that was a fastball, and you go, "Well, nothing happened there." And I'm like, "Yeah, but he was he was crashing, and he wasn't." And then the next time he's not crashing, he is. And you know, it's it's uh, just good stuff. It's it's what makes the game fun if you really want to sit and watch that stuff. Well, yeah, that that's where you really start to see the more interesting little nuances and storylines that are going on in the game that you just you don't hear a broadcaster talk about necessarily. It's the things you have to kind of pick up. Yep. So great day at the ballpark. Caleb Killian matches his season high with nine strikeouts. He did that against West Virginia on the road earlier this season and was a little bit overshadowed when Alec Manoa had a 15-strikeout day against the Red Raiders. He went seven full innings, which was huge for that team in this College World Series game. I think it was huge for Caleb Killian as well as far as just a big confidence booster. 
Cam Warren, a huge two-run jack. I mean, just cranks one, gets every piece of it out to left center field into the middle of the stands. And also one of the best catches we've seen of the season, a guy in like a Brooklyn jersey yeah. catches it one-handed and then just, just pounds his beer and spikes the cup. Yeah, very so, good. Uh, I saw Dylan Dusek tweet out earlier saying Cam wants to sign that guy's ball. He needed help finding. <laughs> That's him. awesome, yeah. And and, and uh, you got the dude on video, <laughs> yeah. so maybe if he, uh, you know, if he's got any uh, social media going on at all, he's probably uh, he's probably a hero amongst his buddies. But yeah, that was uh, that was something else because he really oh, yeah. the beer to make the one handed catch, and then he had the then he had the wherewithal to go, yeah, I got this, and then just pound the beer, and uh, yeah, that was that was that was a plus yeah. right there. Solid. Josh Young goes yard again. That really clutch hitting from Josh. I mean, he's been the star that you've needed him to be through the postseason. Had a two home run day earlier in the postseason as well. Easton Morrell with a home run. I mean, Cody Masters with the RBI go ahead triple, a huge hit for him. And I love the cerebral hitting from him. He was open enough to recognize what he'd been getting himself out on earlier in the game, the breaking stuff he was swinging at. He gets himself a 3 1 count and he's sitting fastball knowing it's coming. And he just got every bit of it, too. But just a good day all around for the Red Raiders, I think. But I think there are a couple concerns. Is there anything that pops out to you, Gus, just kind of looking at what they did or didn't do? Nobody wants to talk about the negative unless they're looking for a reason for a loss. But anything that we can hope that they'll do better as they start looking at Florida State? My biggest concern is Bonin being in the strike zone a bunch early because I think Florida State will absolutely allow him to dig a hole mm-hmm. if he's not getting strike one. I mean, and if he's struggling with command, I don't think that Florida State's offense is, I don't think their approach is the kind that's going to let a guy like that off the hook. And when it became apparent last night that there was going to be a lot of strikes going, a lot of strikes, and then what a performance that we saw last night that hit from Henry at Michigan, the three-hit shutout complete game. And it became apparent that he's going to be in the strike zone early. And so then they had to start swinging early because every guy's coming back on one, oh, two, one, two. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's no way to live. It's the easiest thing in the world to sit in the stands and go, oh, they swing at that. So why are they taking so many? You know, if, if the guy, the, the guy on the mound is dictating the action, and that's what Henry was able to do with FSU. And, and Bonin's not as much of a command guy as he was last time. It's a completely different style. But Bryce against BBU in the strike zone completely different game than last week where he was really struggling. I don't think he got many swings and misses last week. I just didn't think he was especially sharp just to begin with. And, uh, boy, it's, it's, uh, it could be very unforgiving. And, and then you play, play uphill again. Uh, but I also think that, you know, we, we've talked a lot about people narratives at this point is we've got the depth to come out of, you know, to come out of the loser's bracket and da 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 tech Louisville, you know, in the same spot. And, and when we talk about depth, and in, in, in that context, it's always pitching depth. I mean, barring an injury or something like that. Are the pitching depth yet? Is it tested? Uh, the pitching depth is a different conversation Friday, Saturday, and the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday didn't get that far. Then pitching depth becomes a big concern. But right now, the same guys are throwing, and then they get a day off, and they throw, and they get a day off. And so right yeah. now, we're looking at the same thing that we saw from a bunch of these guys. Pitch on Friday, take Saturday off, you pitch on Sunday, you take Monday off, you pitch on Tuesday. So some of these guys did that all year long. And so, and none of them have had the 45, 50, 60 pitch relief appearances that some of them have had throughout the year. Most of these guys have come in and thrown 20, 20, 25 pitches, whatever, 15. And so, uh, their ability to take a day off, come back and be strong. I don't think depth is going to be an issue tomorrow. 
I think Bonin's least would be quick. Right. Mrs. Killian's probably was yesterday. Then on into Friday and Saturday, the set of concerns, what we need as a ball club, we're going to have to get out and innings from a different cast of characters than what we've gotten them from so far. And, uh, you know, it, it really is another conversation in 48 hours if we're getting ready for another ball game on Friday night. Right. Well, and I'm looking kind of here at the numbers through these two games, and nobody's talking about it this game because they're not looking for a reason for a loss, but right. Tech's situational hitting still hasn't been great. And I mean that with runners on and runners in scoring position. Uh, it's just still, you know, I think you're, I think you're four for 27 yeah. with uh, runners on over the, yeah. over the weekend or over these two games, and you're 0 for 10 still with runners in scoring position. Now they've found a way to win, and the, the long ball has been big, but you get into these tight games that Florida State always seems to find themselves in, at least they have in the postseason. I mean, that was their first loss in the postseason was last night, if I'm not mistaken. So a team that's used to getting into tight games and, and playing tight and strong defense, you're going to have to find a way to get those hits when you can get a guy home. And, and there are guys that I trust in those situations. I was sitting by his mom yesterday telling him, man, when, when Brian Klein steps up to the plate, he leads the nation in sack flies. Like, if you got a guy on third, you know he's going to find a way to get him home. You know, you have to be able to do that in these situations. Sure, and, and that's interesting because I, I knew that the number coming out of the Michigan game was over seven or runs in scoring position. But yeah, you think about the replaying these the runs and the different things that have happened. Good for our offense, and and it was with a runner on first, you know, the triple off the wall runner on first. So so you you thought you ran two numbers: there, runners on base and then runners in scoring position. And most of the offense has come when there wasn't a runner in scoring position, and. uh you know, typically those things, I mean, for a good offensive club, those things don't sustain themselves. I mean, you're either, you've either got a bunch of guys going cold or it just, it just sort of works out that you're about to have a big, a big offensive yeah. game. And that's, you know, hopefully that's where we are that this time tomorrow night we can go out and score a bunch of runs and that the, the, the hits fall and the, you know, the guys relax a little bit more. I mean, that's the beauty of getting to play a few more games and just take a deep breath up there as opposed to those first game or two where it's 25,000 people yeah. and it just feels like, you know, police escorts in the bus and just people everywhere. And, all, you know, now you get into this point where you're playing a game and, and it's not part of starting to settle in a little bit. Yes. Now, the other, the other dugout's got the same thing, so I don't want to say there's an advantage. But, hope, again, hopefully our personality comes out and that some guys get comfortable some offense gets strung together, and we start stressing teams in the way that we have this year. Well, I'm glad you mentioned a big offensive day and, and scoring runs because I did want to talk about Florida State a little bit. And, you know, the big question, and I haven't seen an announcement yet, who they're going to start against Texas Tech tomorrow. Have you heard anything about that? No, I haven't. And uh, the names that we've seen this year and the guys that they're most comfortable with, as with most teams, are the guys who have thrown already for them. Right. Van Ike and, and the little lefty. Drew Parrish. Who was outstanding. Yeah, Parrish. And, and so, and Parrish was good for them last year in the postseason. And so they're at a point now where you start to go, all right, where are they in terms of their, their depth and their ability? It'll be interesting to see one of the two of us, you know, playing tomorrow night will get, then get the chance to test Michigan. And again, it's another conversation for 48 hours from now. Mm -hmm. But that team hasn't been stressed yet at all up there. Yeah, and so like to see some of their bullpen guys who haven't touched the mound in two weeks. You know, by the time they would pitch again, you know, I mean, there's some interesting little narratives. If you buy the media wrinkle, not media wrinkle, but narrative talking point wrinkle that 
well, you know, Michigan and Florida State played for three weeks with their season on the line. They've been in survival mode, da 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 da, for so long. Okay, well then let's flip that around. If Texas Tech makes it until Friday, we will have been the ones that have been in survival mode for six days at that point. Yep. Michigan has been on the catbird seat. So, all right, if you bought that narrative, if you bought that narrative, you know, three weeks ago, then you got to buy this other narrative that it's now what what is Michigan going to do? Um, you know, and so again, we, we got to take care of tomorrow. It creates another sure. another conversation. But boy, I'm I'm uh, I'm really really interested to see this thing unfold and to see our guys get comfortable and get going because it feels like to me that FSU might be the ball club that's a little pressy right now and a little tight, maybe trying to do a tick too much. They're thinking about the big picture for number eleven, I think. You bet, you bet, and and maybe maybe some of that is wearing on them, and maybe some of the magic is wearing on them because you got to think about that. That, that. that team was a three seed for a reason. It was Michigan, and so they need to get stressed in a way that their uncomfortable team that was a three seed, not the you know not the cruising Cinderella story, and that it's just it's just going to be interesting. It'll be an interesting thing to see what the tone is like tomorrow early in that ball game, especially if you can hang a couple of zeros and get a run or two to see what they do. And, and it would be a fun thing to do. It's it's fun to play these blue blood type programs. Or I didn't say blue bloods, but just really successful. Big, big name program for sure. Stage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like what we've watched with basketball the last few years. It, go take down Gonzaga. Go take down Michigan State. Michigan. And that's where we are now. Like, all right, there, there goes Arkansas. Let's go play. Mm-hmm. Let's go play. Let's go play the next one, you know, Florida State. I mean, it's just it's it's fun stuff to be in that conversation. Absolutely. If this was in March, it would be fun. It's dang sure fun to be one of the last sixteen standing, and uh, hopefully one of the last four, and then two. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, this I've talked about it on the pod a couple of times. Mike Martin's career; it's been unbelievable. Over two thousand wins, you know, Unreal. forty years of forty win seasons, and the worst season under him yeah. was a regional loss in a forty win season. So just. 17th trip to the college world series but destiny can weigh on you you know and for these young kids that want to do this big thing for number 11 and you know like you said that only carries so far and it starts to wear you out and one positive i think of where they've been sitting the media attention is completely on him yep and so the kids themselves aren't having to deal with that a whole lot but yeah it's it'll be interesting to see how long this can go because as you said they're a three seed in a regional for a reason they were a team i would have argued probably shouldn't have been in the tournament and I mean, all credit to them for taking care of business and getting here and doing what they've been doing. But sooner or later, somebody's gonna gonna tee off on them, I think. And I hope it's Texas Tech. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I think that you know, they're they're a little bit of a darling up there because of eleven, and uh, probably right behind them is the you know Michigan as a darling, and uh, you know the big mm-hmm. bad Red Raiders have a chance to spoil some uh, some uh, of the of the Nebraska you know the Nebraska locals and the people that fill that ballpark for the most part. Um, you know, they'll pick up on, pick up on taglines and root for Stony Brook seven or eight years ago. And, you know, just as I would, if I lived there and just went every year and we're just yeah. enjoying storylines and stuff, I would want the best for Mike Martin. And so I think that we will not be the team that has anyone other than the folks who red and black rooting for him. And if we're still playing on Friday, I think it'll be the same thing there on Friday and Saturday, but, uh, coach Martin is a legend and, uh, what a guy, you know, I, I wrote a little article on him for the College Baseball Fame website last year when he broke, I guess when he passed Coach Garrido. I can't remember if it was either that or 2000 or whatever, all that kind of happened around the same yeah, time. Yeah, pretty close, but, yeah. You know, I found, 
Yeah, and he was a very good player at, at Florida State after a career in junior college. After junior college run to Grand Junction and the JUCO World Series, he went there and played and played in their outfield. And uh, I found a box score from the game. And I, I didn't unearth anything. This was just digging in the internet. I, they, others had found this before me, but found a box score where Florida State had played Navy. And maybe his left fielder was a guy named Roger Staubach. And I thought, isn't that cool that <laughs> Mike, you know, the winningest college baseball coach ever is playing against. He had won the Heisman by then, in fact. And, uh, you know, Roger Staubach, and it's just cool to see both of those names in the same box score and, uh, you know, fun stuff to think about. But then, then the coaching career that's just takes your breath away. Right. 2,000 wins. Coach, Coach Hayes won 1,500, and he was one of only nine or ten to ever get to 1,500. And, uh, you know, and he had a ton of wins at, at Lubbock Christian and at Tech and four years of coaching or almost four years of coaching. You know, Coach Martin just left him in the dust. And saying, that's, that's a, that's a, that is really remarkable. Yeah. And uh, what, what a man. What a man. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Mike. You know, it's easy as, a, as an opposing fan. You know, you kind of want to poo-poo it and say, whatever, my team's great. But you have to respect it. You have to respect what that has <laughs> been and, and, oh, yeah. and appreciate it. But then also, you know, like I said, wonder what's it going to take for the Red Raiders to win and how are they going to get there. But the two names that I've kind of heard tossed around for them pitching is Connor Grady and Shane Drowen, and they're both about a 365 ERA, give or take a point. Grady's 9-5, and five, Drowen's 3-1 and one on the season. I mean, they're kind of in the 50 to 60 innings pitched range. Grady has a 67 to 24 strikeout to walk ratio, 71 to 48 for Drowen, so I would love to see him and his free passes. But going back through box scores and kind of seeing who else has been pitching besides Van Eyck and Parrish, and there's not many late in the season. Grady had a start against Louisville in their final conference series. He only lasted an inning. He gave up three hits and four runs, and then they went by committee, and they ended up losing 11 to nothing in that game to Louisville. And then he pitched in uh, the regional, and he went seven innings pitch, gave up six hits and only one run. And he threw 101, so he was pretty good. That was against Georgia, and they were the road team. So wow. I can't imagine them going to anybody else. He's the only other guy with any postseason starting experience. And, and and so what that may very well mean is our lineup doesn't change much. I mean, we we could coach, you know, Coach Tadlock might keep messing around in, in right field if he if he wants to try something else. I, I don't know. I would imagine Morrell is earned another start, especially with a right hander on the mound and. Uh, Master stays in at DH against the right-hander, and none of those things are really out of character from what we've done down the stretch. Right field's in play because of Gabe's deal, and 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 it is what it is. But uh, I, you know, how Coach Sadlock is, you win a ball game, he'll stick the same guys out there. If they put a lefty in, maybe maybe there could be some movement with one of those other spots, third base DH. But uh, you know, who knows? But I, I'm with. It would be a big surprise to see them step way out of their their recent past, you know, box school, what you're looking at, regional and super regional to, to do right. anything crazy on the mound because it sounds like you, know, you go into Athens and, and do that against that ball club. That was a really good good team. That was uh, that was really where they started their Shock the World campaign, FSU. Uh, yeah. It really was. Yeah, that was a 10-1 game, but, but having not lost a game until now in the postseason – they haven't been stretched from a pitching standpoint. A regional can stretch you a yep. little bit, but you know, even then, winning your way through that, you know, you don't get pushed too hard. And now, they're maybe the first time that you've seen them tested. And they've got the closer, obviously, 
that they want is running around the outfield. But uh, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about other innings that go beyond that. Anybody on their team from an offensive standpoint that pops out in your mind that folks should should give a look to or, or pay attention to? Drew Mendoza is their home run leader. He's got 16, but anybody else that kind of pops out in your mind? Mendoza is also a guy that's thrown a ton of walks, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, he's got uh, 69. Yeah, that's a big, big number. It really is. Yeah, I think he's he's one of those guys that I was talking about that's super selective, and then he can be really dangerous. I mean, he's that that's a big number, and, and uh, I mean that that's what we've seen with Josh, and uh, uh, you know that's almost that's almost a number that evokes you know evocative of uh, maybe pitching around him. <laughs> I mean, if you're walking 69 times and still hitting 16, 17 home runs, teams are just going to mess with that guy. Maybe that's indicative of what we talked about earlier, that, hey, we're going to let that guy behind Mendoza beat us. Right. Uh, we'll see, but he's, uh, he, I think he's their best player, at, at least in the sense. I mean, Paris is interesting because he's an outfielder. You know, that deal where he scores on the sack fly, runs out to right field, warms up, comes in and closes it in the one nothing victory the other day. <laughs> that was special yeah. in a different kind of way. I don't, I don't want to – we're not talking prospects and all that, but I just think in terms of the guy that's – written into the lineup every day and the guy you fear the most i think it's mendoza yeah josh by comparison he's drawn 52 walks and he's a drawn difference... a ton of walks that's a big number it's so yeah. clear I mean, that's a ton yeah of... that's a lot really? yeah absolutely yeah. leads the team and but by comparison for josh only 41 strikeouts mendoza though so 69 walks but he's also struck out 72 times you know what's interesting about that is a lot of times when you see high numbers on both sides of that uh it's it's a guy that goes deep into counts a lot. Uh-huh. He, he may be, you know, he's not afraid to go there, take a pitch, work counts, do that, do that. And so he's getting deep into counts uh, on both sides, good and bad. You know, he's hitting in a bunch of two-strike spots, and he's hitting in some three-ball three, three ball spots, as well as, uh, and conversely, when you see somebody that's been playing all year long and they got, you know, 20 walks and 18 strikeouts or whatever, that tells it's an early count guy. Yeah. If it's a really if it's really low on both sides, that dude's hacking early. He's making a lot of early contact, good or bad. But he's you know, and and so I mean to to see a ton of strikeouts and a ton of walks because both of those numbers are really high. Those both of those numbers would be first place on our team. You already said that on the walk side. Right. I don't think we have anyone close to sixty seventy strikeouts, but No. Uh, no. Nobody over barely over fifty five. Yeah, he's he's going deep into counts often. I'm guessing to get to get such high numbers on both sides of that, and to have the six whatever you said, sixteen, seventeen home runs. I thought he's an interesting player. Yeah, yeah, sixteen home runs. Yeah, I, yeah. Not to say the strikeouts are affecting him. He's still he's slugging a five ninety seven and batting three oh eight. But uh, just yeah. an, an interesting team because after you go play an Arkansas team, that if you run across those Arkansas and Texas Tech offensive numbers cumulative across the season very similar team i mean you could almost you could almost swap several of them and that's a little bit different here with florida state who's just a it's just a different style of of baseball i think but i also loved the audio i'll put it on here in a minute Uh, i love the audio of mike martin telling the story of tim tadlock wanting to bring the red raiders out in 16 to play florida state (laughs) that was fantastic i'm I'm glad you said that because i thought the thing too when we were talking earlier about them and he (laughs) And Coach Martin telling that story, I don't have any guarantee money. That's all right. We'll come out there. And he kicked our butt all over the place. And, <laughs> and, and, and those two are really, those two are really similar. Now they're different generations and 
old enough to be father son North Carolina and now Florida and just that part of the world Mike Martin is at age 75 Tim Tadlock is so classically Texan and he's right at 50 they're two are just very similar personalities and very mm-hmm. true to their personalities and it'd be fun to if if I ever got to film the the show that you know I've always thought about or your podcast or whatever it's Let's go fishing with Coach Martin and Tim Tadlock, and we'll let the recorder run, and we'll tell fishing stories. Oh, I mean, we'll gosh. tell baseball stories while they fish. That would be awesome. Oh, that'd be amazing. or maybe it's golfing too. I'd rather do that. I'd rather do it with them both with fishing poles in their hand. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that'd be that'd be awesome. That, yeah, that that'd be we awesome. were we were driving when that press conference happened, and all of a sudden Twitter's just on fire with people. Hey, sign me up for. For Coach Martin, Coach Tadlock banter all week long, please. You yeah, know, the, everybody wanted more. <laughs> everyone at a press conference is sterile, you know. Whatever, lucky to be here, you know. Everyone's everyone's giving the party lines and doing that, and then they get to, and then those two get up there and start firing their their salvos, and obviously a little bit a little bit of playfulness there. And uh, that's been really good for us as far as. Outfield throwing goes. I mean, those guys are out there to drive runs in most of the time and catch the ball when it's in the air. So if we throw somebody out at the plate, it'll be a surprise to me. <laughs> Mike? I got to tell you a quick story. He calls me about two years ago and says, you got a couple of games? I, I, I got two days. You want to come on that? I said, I, I, I don't have any guaranteed money. He said, oh, that's okay. We'll be down there two, next week, Okay. Okay. So he comes in and kicks our butt. He ain't never gonna get another phone call. <laughs> anyway, all right. We're out. supposed to play golf too. Maybe. That can be arranged. There you go. There you go. I figured you'd be flaunting a master shirt today, but again, it makes it so easy to like Coach Martin in the spot he's in because this is it. You know, win, lose, or draw. It's all coming to an end, and so it's yeah. you know, it's easy to see why everybody's rooting for it. Well, and you know, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse with with the Coach Martin stuff, but I just saw a picture a little while ago him sitting on some of the Omaha PD, you know, Harley motorcycles in his you know his full <laughs> uniform, and they're saying goodbye. Thanks for all the memories. Like you've been here so much that the police invite you to say goodbye. You know, sitting on the motorcycle like that. That you spent some time in Omaha, Nebraska at that point. No doubt, and, and it'd, it'd be interesting to know if 20 years ago Mike Martin is is playful enough to, to journey over into those kind of things and to cut up a little bit, but 75-year-old Mike Martin is, is smelling the roses, as he should. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's been a fun playfulness to his side. And believe me, on game day, it's you know, he's, he's all business. You know, there's just so much to like about it. And, and again, that narrative of that story, it's uh, – the tech fans that hear this podcast don't get your feelings hurt when nobody is rooting for us tomorrow. Yeah, so, uh, you know it's, it's us against the world, probably. Yeah. For the rest it it of all it always is. Play. I think I think tech fans <laughs> always feel like it's us. The broadcasters hate us. The umpires hate us. Everybody hates us. <laughs> well, everybody likes it. Yeah, everybody likes that narrative. It feels you know, and then it feels like nobody gave us a chance. You know, well, I think a lot of teams did, but. I mean, a lot of people did, but it's more fun to craft that narrative, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everybody wants to know, be the underdog. Hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. doubt. All right, Mike. Well, we've kind of gone through all of this stuff. I mean, do you have a do you have a key for the game for us? I mean, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction. Not, nobody should ever try sure. to predict baseball, but what's the, what's <laughs> yeah, the key know. for the game? Uh, you know, I, I said yesterday, I said, uh, 
interview on XM radio yesterday leading into the Arkansas game, and it, it proved to be wrong. And it may just be my personal where my comfort level is. I said, but it, again, it felt this way coming out of the Michigan game too. I said, I think it's important to score early. You score first. You know, the saddle of it, and obviously we didn't score first, but I thought the Cam's home run and some of that other stuff allowed us to sort of breathe a little bit and get into our personality and feel good about ourselves and all that in a way that, uh, you know, I sure would like to see a comfortable bonding out there that, that goes, goes five, you know, five solid innings and is comfortable and clicking and rolling mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in command rather than us, you know, waving to the bullpen and, you know, in the, in the second or third inning, because it's a, it's an uphill climb. Right. And I, I don't really know what to expect in that sense. But I would, you know, would love to play with the lead up there a little bit and to get into our, just to get into our game a little bit and, and have something go easy. I, it's, it's probably crazy to expect something to be easy in Omaha. Right. Yeah, to, to find a game that you comfortably have command of. Well, Florida last year, the first game against Florida, it was a tight game, but after Cam has that big 14-pitch at bat and the, mm-hmm. the momentum turns a little bit, you felt yep. like you were in control of the game the rest of the way. At least I did from the stands. And, you know, you haven't had one of those yet, that's for sure, not this year. And it would be nice to get into a situation. You may not beat them by 12, but if you feel right. like you're in control and you gain that confidence to roll, and then, as you said, you're going to turn your rotation back over and – then you're into an interesting situation, especially if you get to a championship series, but you kind of are back in back in business a little bit as far as being who you are and dealing yep. with pitching the way you want to starting on Friday. No doubt about it. And, uh, yeah, now, like I said, the, the, this conversation 48 hours from now is, is entirely different because it's yeah. our number four <laughs> versus our fourth game versus their third game and our whether it's our number four or we're bringing back on the morning. I mean, that's, that's another conversation in and of itself. One, Interesting thing is, is you and I have this conversation that today's game is in a lengthy, lengthy rain delay, but in the first six games of this College World Series have all been decided by two runs or less. So it's been, yeah. it's been very entertaining baseball, very tight, very compelling. We haven't had that blowout just, you know, as you said, 11 to three or whatever, you know, where you just mm-hmm. TV sets are turning off and the winning team's happy and the losing team's ready to get over with. And, uh, Hopefully, if that happens tomorrow, hopefully it happens to the good for us. But uh, you know, it's it's been uh, very compelling baseball up there. No reason to think it won't stay that way for a while. Yeah, I saw that on the broadcast before they kind of went out for the delay. That, yeah. as you said, you know, all these all these games decided so closely, and then uh, the most home runs hit I think since 2010, which was surprising. I think there's been what 10 home runs or maybe more uh, in the series so far, and but then the lowest ERAs as well. Wow, that's interesting because the 2010 side is uh, the importance of 2010 is that was last year over at Rosenblatt, and right. uh, you know the, the moved over to this ballpark and boy, those first two or three years it was like two to one every game. It's a and cavern. UCLA, yeah. uh, UCLA won it that year, and it was just, I mean, it was just but almost bunting guys over with one out, and it was like the stories you read about the dead ball Ty Cobb era kind of stuff. You got to go on first. You bunt him over and hope for a two-out single. I mean, just you know, it was unbelievably slow, and the ballpark became the narrative, and then not in yeah. a good way. I mean, it was it all wonderful phantom energies and views and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it became a negative, negative talking point. It was like rapping about umpires that you know you want the ballpark and the umpires to be invisible and nobody noticed them, and instead those first three years of TV Ameritrade, that's all anyone talked about, and. Uh, 
you know, fortunately the game has swung back a little bit more to being five to three type ball games and all that. What you said about ERA is really interesting because, uh, you know, the most home runs and the best ERA is not what you would expect to hear. You'd think that, well, that would be a very inverse relationship, but that's, uh, that's yeah. interesting. It's been good baseball so far. It has been a great series so far. I absolutely love coming up here, and I would highly recommend, I know you would too, anybody, put it on your bucket list. Oh, yeah. Even if Texas Tech's not here, just get up here for the first weekend, enjoy great baseball. We missed that last year because of the weather. We missed yep. going to other games and just going and posting up and enjoying a game. You know, we were sitting in the outfield, you know, watching Auburn fall apart and Mississippi State take that game in the end. And it, you don't have a rooting interest, but you're just enjoying great baseball and lots of emotion out there. And, man, it's it's a lot of fun out here. It if really is. And yeah, yeah, there's way less tension when your team isn't playing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nah, that's especially the way we've been playing lately, just these grinder, <laughs> grinder ball games that we've had. No you doubt. Know, can't hardly no breathe. Doubt. Well, yeah. Well, Gus, thank you for jumping on with me I mean, almost an hour now after a 12-hour drive. I appreciate you, man. Oh, sure. uh, everybody appreciates you and the, what you bring to Tech Baseball and your voice is, is part of it and also just your fandom and, of course, playing as well. I, I mentioned former players. I tweeted about seeing Grant Little and Jose Cazada. I left you off the list. I'm sorry. Oh, I know. I think everybody I knows you. They know you're going to be there. Yeah, I don't need to be on that <laughs> conversation. You're talking about, you're talking about yeah, that's, that's – you said former – players not former roster fillers like i was but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's uh yeah that, that's good stuff to see those guys there and they were there on yeah their, their a ball league all-star break and uh, enjoying the deal and uh, whooping it up and signing autographs and all that was that was cool as it gets and uh what, what a way to spend your all-star break hey let's hop in the car and go down and watch the boys in omaha and uh, you know good good for yeah, them no big and, deal yeah, no, no doubt. Hopefully, more can come. Coach Hayward was saying, "I, you know, we need to get, we need to. Sure, where's Mahomes? We need to get Mahomes up here. You know, so that'd be well." Cool. The the word was that he would definitely be here for a championship series. There you go. But Perfect. man, that's, he's surely awesome. not far away. So no, roll up right. here. He, exactly. So hopefully, he can get there. That'd be that would be crazy cool because it was Jay Samaro yesterday. I thought I think Mahomes shows up and he's perched up in there in a suite. I'll have to, I'll have to drag him out. 14 police around him to get him to the yeah. car and get him out <laughs> or get him down on the stairs and do the do the interview the end game yeah. with him yeah yeah he'd be swarmed well awesome man i sure do appreciate it and, uh, we'll talk to you again soon well that of course was dr mike gustafson thanks so much gus for joining us appreciate all your perspective it is so good to always get to talk to that guy he is in the know about things and has such great perspective about baseball just a wealth of knowledge always enjoy talking to him so the Red Raiders will meet the Florida State Seminoles. They will be the visiting team for the first time in the 2019 College World Series. That is scheduled to be 6 o'clock on Wednesday night on ESPN. But as I record this Tuesday evening, Louisville versus Auburn is in a rain delay. They will not start to play until 9 p.m. this evening at the earliest. And Game 2 today on Tuesday has already been postponed to Wednesday. So there is a possibility that Tech's game gets bumped around a little bit. But I'll keep you updated on Twitter as best I can about that. But lots of great things continue to go on in Omaha. Red Raiders, I think, with another good opportunity to get a win and stay alive. If they win on Wednesday, they would be playing again on Friday for the opportunity to get into the College World Series Championship Series. They have to beat whoever they're playing twice. So they play Friday and Saturday. Those game times are not yet confirmed. So Appreciate you guys sticking with us. I know it's a little bit of a longer episode, but lots of good things to talk about with Dr. Mike. We've had a great one. 
been fun up here in Omaha. Nice to have a little bit of a break day here with a little rain. Looking forward to getting back to baseball tomorrow. As always, appreciate your support. Please get out there, subscribe, review the podcast, share it with friends, tell folks about it, interact on Twitter, have a great time. Be in Red Raiders. It's a great time right now, obviously, for this athletic department and baseball kind of bringing it up here at the end of the spring as we get into the summer, winning up here in Omaha. So looking forward to a little bit more. We'll talk to you soon, and until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me.